Well, good morning. My name is Ken Weitzma, and this is pretty exciting because it's uh, the culmination of a dream I've had since 1997. And... Um, <laughs> to think you'd actually get here. And so I owe a lot of it to my wife for putting up with me uh, and carrying it through. So it's kind of exciting for you you guys to be here and to share in that. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started. Father God, we just thank you for this morning that we can be together. We thank you for creating things like joy and happiness and laughter and smiles. And just pray that we would actually be able to enjoy one another and that you would be glorified by that. In Christ's name, amen. Well, if you can read your notes page, uh, I've got a definition for you here at at the outset. And it's simply this, the word significance. The word significance, and it's defined this way. A state or quality of being significant or having a meaning. A meaning that is expressed or importance and consequence. To be significant is to have importance, consequence, meaning. Now everyone here this morning was created to be significant. And that sounds like a motivational speech or like locker room pep talk, but it's not. You were created to be significant. If we look at the beginning of the Bible, page one, um, outside of the, the whole preface and all that, but the very beginning of scripture here in Genesis chapter 1, listen to to what is said, it says this, God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground, and so God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. If God is significant, and that's kind of wrapped up in the, in the name God, right? Uh, supreme person, being in the universe. If God is significant, and we're on a continuum with God, we're, we're supposed to be a reflection, a mirror image, we're tied to God, then we ought to, we were created to be, we're meant to be significant as well. Does that make sense? Now, however imperfect we are or or actualize this, significance, meaning, importance, consequence, that's our north star. It was something from the very beginning that we were supposed to have and to be significance. You were made to be significant. And don't let that just bounce off you, yeah, 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 and bounce right back. Think about it. What you do, the decisions you've made, the schools you've gone to, the the people you've built relationships with, the dreams that you've had, most everything in your life has been motivated by the desire to have meaning, importance, consequence, and significance. When we ask the question, what is the meaning of life, we're we're begging this whole idea of it should be something significant. That's tied up in the question, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? I've never seen a kid yet when we're playing a game or, or kids are getting together, I've got three girls, ages five, I think three, uh, and then somewhere in the one range, um, you lose track as they go. Uh, I've never seen a kid yet raise their hand and say, I want to play the villain. I want to play the convict. Right? 
We all gravitate towards the hero or the heroine. We all want to be the person that has meaning and consequence. That's just a part of life. And so here's the thing, though. Uh, Even though we want significance and we shoot for it, it doesn't always turn out the way we want. So I've got a little clip to kind of express how how this usually goes. I've never seen them act like that before. Denial can be an ugly thing. Well, we should go, Mr. Ventura. I've arranged a plane. I'll meet you at the bottom. There's still one more thing I must do before I go. but if we don't hurry now, we might miss the plane. Of course. How selfish of me. Let's do all the things that you want to do. So we we want significance, but we always leave the putt kind of hanging on the cup, right? Uh, We look at our lottery ticket, and the number, the last number, just doesn't really fall our way. It doesn't always break the way we want. Because... Life is, it's messy, and we all know that. And so we can work really hard to to give our kids the best, and then somehow we get towards the later years and we realize um, they're frustrated that we didn't spend more time with them. And we think, I did everything I, I could. Or you work really hard in a church and pour yourself into a church, and you try and make it significant just to leave it someday, and you think, what was that all for? Or you're a college student, and you look at all these infinite possibilities to change the world, especially today. There's so many different things you can be involved in. And you stand there, and you look at all of them, and you want to change the world, and you look at people your age that are changing the world, and you can't get going. You're locked up. You don't know where to go, and you feel like, where is the significance? How do I make a difference? How do I become important? Where is the consequence? And so it's, it's a very real thing that we desperately want to be significant, and it's hard. And so here's the first point. Life is messy. Life is messy. That's the problem. The problem is life is messy. Now here's the frustration, number two. The frustration is we don't have any help. We don't get a lot of help in America being significant, because everybody's out trying to be significant. There's not a lot of help. Here's a statistic for you. The number of Americans not attending church increased 92% between 1991 and 2004. The number of people going to church has increased, the number of people not going to church has increased 92% between 1991 and 2004. Now, why is that? It's simple. It's because they don't feel like church helps with this calling, this destiny that they've got to be significant. When I married my wife, she looked at me. She comes from Prineville where they work hard. Um, 
Well, I was going to cut a joke, but I thought better. Uh, my wife, when we got married, she looked at me and she, she says, just right into my, into my eyes, and she says, I don't want to be married to a man that's not going to have a good work ethic. She goes, the husband I'm going to have better be known for a good work ethic. And I thought, hey, we're fine there because I have a hard time shutting it off. I'm Dutch, you know, you, you got to keep the sea out and windmills going, right? Um, but here's what I've learned. When the work is meaningless, when the work is meaningless, pretty soon you walk away. I remember the movie Cool Hand Luke with Paul Newman way back when, right? And he's in this prison yard, and the, the warden is trying to break him. And so the warden makes, makes him dig a hole, and then uh, the guard comes along and says, what's my hole doing empty? You better fill it with that dirt. Or what's, your, what's the dirt doing on my lawn? Fill that hole. So eight hours more, fills the hole back up with dirt. And then the, the warden comes up and says, what's, what's that dirt doing in my hole? Makes him redig it. And then he comes out and says, what that, what's that dirt doing on my lawn? And makes him fill the hole. And he makes him go back and forth. And he's trying to break him. Why? Because meaningless work on and on is insignificant. And it cuts against who we are. And so churches, if it's not meaningful, if we're just shuffling people around, people are going to leave. The second thing is if there's no work, right? Have you ever been kind of out there and there's a bunch of people doing something and it's meaningful, but you want to help out and you're like the little, the little kid that's just getting in the way and you're kind of bouncing around and, and where can I help out? You know, what can I do? Give me something, give me something and, and nothing. You just kind of boxed out. And pretty soon you kind of throw your hands up and you walk away, right? And church ought to be a place where you can express who you are in a meaningful way. You can be significant. And so why are people leaving the church? Because there's no work or the work is meaningless. And so the frustration is this. There's no help. The purpose of a church in my mind, at least the institutional part of it, the organized part of it. And that's the part that's gotten a bad rap, right? Institutionalized religion, formalized religion. And that formalizing process is a lot like a government. Why do you have a government? Well, the government's there to make things work well so that everybody can be who they're supposed to be and express, express themselves in the way they, they want to express themselves. Freedom, right? And so I don't know if you know this, but in the Declaration of Independence... 52% of the words of the Declaration of Independence are the charges against the King of England. Over half of the Declaration isn't this the rights of man kind of a thing. It's he did this, he did this, he did this. His job was to enable and empower the people. And instead of doing that, he tyrannized us. He made it meaningless or he took away our right to, to be involved, and therefore we have the right to break or to leave. That's the Declaration of Independence. 52% of the words. And I think the, the problem is a lot of churches are in the same thing. People are leaving because the contract has been broken. We're no longer allowing people to be involved, to express themselves, find significance, be in working partnerships and relationships on teams, and so they leave. And so the second thing is this, there's no help. Life is messy, and there's very little help. Now here's the vision. 
the vision is, a, is for a helpful community. And that's kind of a word without a lot of meat to it. So if you want the big $10 word, redemptive. The vision is for a redemptive community, a helpful community. That here at Antioch, we would somehow find a way to unlock you, to find out what that little whisper is that God put in your ear 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I've found that everybody carries around with them that little whisper. I always felt like I was supposed to write a book. I always felt like I was supposed to work with kids. I always felt like I was supposed to teach. I always felt like, and somehow you never got around to doing it. And it hangs there. That putt is on the, on the cup, and it, it won't go in. And you're not being who you were created to be. I want this church to be a church where we unlock that in people, where you can find that meaning and that consequence and that importance, where you can be significant. I don't want to just harp on people to do things that we as a church aren't making easy for them to do. If you're new to church, maybe I'll just like let you behind the scenes. Churches always do this, and you probably figured it out. Um, go invite all your neighbors, and we're going to bring like a comedian in, and that way you got something you can invite your neighbors to, and, and they'll come in, and halfway through it, you guys all know this, right? There's the big bait and switch. You know, you get them in with a comedian, and then halfway through it's like the big switch, and it's all about church again. I don't want to treat people like that. I don't want to treat you like that. And so I want this church to be meaningful where we are involved in the community so we can have normal relationships, not just manipulative ones, where we can converse without saying, you have to agree with me 100% before you can really have a relationship or fellowship or community. So we want to bridge out. We have a dream for a coffee shop that would be aimed at artists where you'd have like potter's wheels and easels, and you'd have a, a bar that sells these fancy journals for poets and paint for painters, and you'd be able to go to this coffee shop and just do art there. And we can sublease it to artists that want to do lessons, and we can have art shows there. But what a wonderful idea to just get out in the community and build relationships, just spend time together. It's not about treating everybody as a project. It's about somehow coming into some kind of a meaningful connection. And we don't want to just make it all about us. We want to be a helpful community to the broader area of Bend. I, I think sometimes when I drive down the road and I see a church building on the corner, I have the thought, you know what? I bet most of the people that drive by this corner and see that church building think to themselves, wow, I really don't like the look of that church or I wish that church wasn't there. I wish we had something more fun there. I don't know, like a blockbuster or a movie, another movie theater. Or, you know, why does that have to be a church on the corner there? I want to have a church where the majority of the people are so fond of us because we're involved in Bend, helping the needs of Bend, that if somehow we disappeared or ceased to be, that even non-Christians in this town would go, man, where'd that church go? What happened to them? We miss them. See, we're, we're somehow tied into the fabric, not just helping ourselves, but helping this community be more significant and meaningful, that if we somehow disappeared, they would feel the loss. I think God wanted more for his communities than to just be holed off by ourselves and have a real antagonistic kind of a feel. And so I have a dream for that. I have a dream for a helpful community. In Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, it's kind of a famous little verse there 
Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, right? If Jesus wants us to come to him so that he can lighten the load, right? Because life is messy and we, we yearn for significance. Then the church that takes its name after Jesus, this is a Christian church, shouldn't we also endeavor to be a helpful church? Come to us. If you're heavy burdened, if you're weary, our yoke is easy, our, our, our burden is light, and we're going to come alongside and help you. So that's the dream. Now, what does this look like in terms of Scripture? The biblical picture is this, an interdependent body. And you can just write inter and then, you know, like a dash. An interdependent body. So again, if you can't read your Bible, go ahead and think of Corinthians 12. Um, here's the biblical picture. Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. The, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all of its parts are many, they form one body. The body is a unit. We know this, right? Legs and organs and everything. And it's made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. It says the same thing in Romans 8.10, if you want to make a note of that. And reading on in verse 14, it says this. Now the body is made up of one part, but not made up of one part, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Let's rewind, okay? And, and I want you to hear this. But in fact, God, the maker, has arranged the parts in the body, that's you, every one of you, just as he wanted you to be. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're what God created you to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? And as it is, there are many parts, but one body. And I'll read on just one more section now in verse 24. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that, they, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, Every part rejoices with it. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So it's like a body part. You, you were designed to be significant. What part of the body wasn't designed to be significant? They used to think the tonsils weren't designed to be significant, and now they're finding out that it plays some kind of a part in the immune system, whatever. Every part of your body was designed to have a role. It's not by mistake. You, as a part of the body, are significant and designed to have a role. You're not a mistake. But here's how it works, right? There's a give and a take. You have to help 
others and be helped by others. That's the secret of significance. You can't be significant in a vacuum. You have to help others and be helped by others. Bill Gates didn't build Microsoft by himself. He got all the money, but he didn't build it by himself. He had a lot of geeks and, and all that in Silicon, I think it was Silicon Valley, wherever he was, or Seattle, where did he start? Uh, in the garage there. And they together helped each other. And most people didn't think Bill Gates was all that meaningful guy until a couple of years ago when he opened up his checkbook and started giving away billions to needy people in this world. And then they started thinking, wow, Bill Gates is really significant. Mother Teresa, we always thought she was significant, right? But did she build that orphanage, the roof and the walls by herself? Did she help prepare the food for those orphans all by herself? She was working with other people. She had help. And no matter who you look at, Billy Graham comes to mind. Do you know that he had like three of his buddies or two of his buddies or something like that that from when he was in his 20s stayed with them all the way on and they're still together. For like 50 years or something, these guys were all together. And I was joking with Fred and Kip, I think at one time, and I was saying, hey, that's going to be us. Um, 50 years from now, we're going to be still, I don't know what we're going to be doing. But you have to have help And you have to help others if you're going to be significant. There's an interdependence tied to this whole thing. And so let me illustrate it for you. There's a a documentary. I'm kind of a documentary buff, fan, whatever. And there's this weird documentary called Grizzly Man. And you might have seen it or seen the preview. And it's about this guy, uh, Tim, Tim Treadwell. Timothy Treadwell, and for 13 years, he went up into Alaska, and he thought he was, like, protecting the grizzly bears. I don't know what he was, I don't know what was going on there, right? But, but so he, he would go by himself and get dropped in uh, at a certain point in the spring and picked up a certain point in the fall, and he would live, for 13 years, live among the grizzly bears. And he was shooting all this video footage of himself, and someday I think he was going to turn it into a movie. And so he actually got eaten by one of the grizzly bears and they took all the documentary kind of footage and eventually made a movie about his life and his story and it's it's pretty wild deal he's a little bit off uh and in alaska they're they're like interviewing the guy that helicoptered in and him in and out and the guy has got no i mean he's an alaskan he's got no grace for this this guy and he says oh he got what he deserved i don't know what he was thinking those are bears you know um and so it's kind of a funny a funny movie this way But the part that really hit me was uh, he got eaten and they came out and shot the bear and cut the bear open. This might be like a PG-13 analogy. I don't know. You can, whatever you need to do. Uh, They they cut the bear open and they took Tim out and and brought it back. And so in the documentary, they, they are talking to like the doctor that was there when they kind of brought it back. And he's like, yeah, right over there on that table was where they put the bags of, of his body parts, you know. And I just I thought, wow, you know, what a little piece to use in a sermon or hear in a documentary. But it hit me, too. I was like, you know, this is really interesting because I can draw a circle around Timothy Treadwell right now. There's his body parts. Draw a circle, and they're all in one place. 
Well, it doesn't do any good, does it? The pieces of the body do no good. They have no meaning. They have no significance when they're in a vacuum or in isolation or all by themselves. They only take on meaning when they're tied into the body in a certain working arrangement so that they both receive and they're able to give. Right? It's not just a bunch of body parts thrown together. It's a certain kind of dynamic or relationship between those body parts that really brings it out and makes it alive. And so you can have a great working body part, but if your brain and your heart shut down, it loses its significance. We are tied to each other. There's an epidemic in America of depression. We yearn for significance, but there's no help, right? And God's design for us is that we would somehow, in community, find the opportunity to pursue our significance, to have meaning, to have consequence, to have importance. Let me read one verse again for you. Here is God's definition of significance. Corinthians twelve twenty-seven. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Now, sermons can be boring. And that's why, like on the back of your sermon notes thing there, you'll see it, it's a doodle pad. And it basically says, you know, draw the sermon if you're an artist or you can just pass the time. Um, it's better than sleeping. But you can just doodle away. Sermons can be boring. But God isn't boring. And churches, unfortunately at times, cannot help you not get you connected, not allow you to pursue your God-given destiny. That doesn't make the concept or God's plan for church irrelevant. It just makes that particular situation a poor functioning body. The answer is not to turn our back on community because we cannot be significant in a vacuum. And so here it is one more time. We were made to be significant. We were made the image of God. And to say God's not supposed to be significant would be like idolatry. It would be treating God as less than what he really is, not giving him the, soul, the, the full value that he has, taking something sacred and treating it as if it's common. And if we're supposed to be a reflection of that, it's okay to look in the mirror at night and say, you know what, I am not an accident. God made me for a reason. You don't have to hide that. You don't have to not let me know that you want to be significant. I'm not going to think you're selfish. I'm going to think that you're a properly functioning human being that's driven to be significant. We want to be significant, and there's no help in America. It's, it's tough to find others that will work with us so that we can express ourselves and be all that we want to be. So I have a vision that Antioch would be a place where you could come and pursue significance, help others become significant, because there's a joy in that, and that we would actually be able to make a difference. Not just go hide in some corner somewhere, but that we would be able to make a dent to change lives. The whole goal here is, is to change lives. If this church ever stops trying to change lives for the better, if your life is not being changed for the better, I'll be the first one to recommend another church to you. I'm not going to get my kicks just because you're sitting here. 
My dream and my goal, my vision is so much higher than that. I want to see you flourish. I want to see you be all God made you to be. And so the vision is for a redemptive, helpful community. Along the lines of this biblical picture where everyone has to receive something and give something. We have to be in a certain kind of proximity or relationship or structure in order to truly be who we were made to be. And that's the dream of this church. And so that dream fuels my prayer. I have a picture. I have a desire. I have a dream. And so at the end of the day, when I go home and when I get on my knees, my prayer is, God, let us be something extraordinary. Let the people who come here be like the flowers, like, you know, and bend on, in the spring when the sun comes out and they just blossom. Let me not get in the way and tyrannize people and be the, the person that locks it all up so that others can't work in a meaningful or helpful way. Let this church dream big dreams for you, God. That we'd actually be able to go out and not just talk a big game, but make a difference. Let us be a committed community. Let us be a proper reflection of what you had designed. And so let's pray that now. Father God, the church was your plan. It's your plan A and there is no plan B. And I just pray for my generation who are disillusioned with the church and feel like they need to leave the church and go pursue you on their own. And I just pray that you would help us lay down our individuality, that we wouldn't hunger to be autonomous, that we would see our need to be able to to give and to take, that we would work hard and be committed to community the greater Bend community, the community of church, that we would strive to make a difference and help churches be all you intended for them to be. And I certainly pray that for this church, Father. Let us not get locked up into just ruts and routines and traditions. Let us not lose sight of people because people matter to you, God. I pray that they would matter to us. In Christ's name, amen. Let's make big on what Kendra said and go to the connecting lunch after this up at the Mitchells.